Welcome to uh, the Breakthrough Podcast. And today I have a very special person with me, Basil Stander, who's a friend and somebody that I can barely look at his Facebook post because I'm always hungry when I do or feel like I need to, to up my food game. Um, but I'm very happy to have you here. And just to tell you a little bit about him because he's going to introduce himself in his career soon. Basil is a food futurist. That's a very exciting title. I don't know if there are many food futurists in the world, but we'll find that out in a minute. And you're the executive innovation chef lead at Hulwis Australia and also the founder of the Food Innovation Company. So that's very exciting, Basil. Um, how do we know each other? Gosh, through friends, Basil, I'd say. Um, and somehow our siblings, you know, my sibling. And so we're also connected in many ways being South African, don't we, Basil? That's, that's yep. what I can recall. Absolutely. And uh, it's it's wonderful to get to know you because I now have wonderful chef friends that I can talk about food with. Um, now, why I asked you to be a guest, Basil, was a couple of things. This is a breakthrough podcast. And I think that if I think of food, I think of you. Um, and I really think that I'd like to talk to you about, you know, food innovation and where you see that going. We've got so many challenges in the world. It's not just food trends, but also food security, food supply, all those things are becoming really, really tricky. But we also have some really exciting things happening with the blend of different cultures and different food styles. So I wanted to talk about that. But I think you're also very entrepreneurial. I think you blend your photography and your travel and your food. There are just so many things. And you're just a wonderful person as well. So I think it's great for people to meet you, Basil, and get to know more about you. So Basil, tell us a little bit more about your career and your life up to now. How did you become a food futurist? Um, so Food Futurist is kind of like a, a self-given uh, title, if you like. Um, part of the work that I do at Woolworths, which is probably the part of my work that I enjoy the most, is um, researching and presenting on food trends and opportunities. And a large part of that, uh, um, especially over the last sort of three or four years, has been heavily um, grounded in... Uh, the startups and the really exciting kind of future of food world, if you like. Um, so I kind of immerse myself in that pretty much, uh, uh, you know, a couple of days a week where I'm just reading up and following what all of these people are up to. Um, and, you know, we're talking about the the companies that are starting to do things like lab-grown meat, um, precision fermentation, you know, where people are creating coffee without the beans, right? Coffee that tastes exactly like coffee, uh, behaves like coffee, there's no difference in flavor, um, but it's made without the beans, right? And you have obviously all of these sustainability and sort of um, concerns around the way farmers are treated in parts of South America, where there's child labor or slave labor, et cetera. So uh, a lot of these startups are sort of addressing uh, concerns around the environment or around modern slavery um, and things like that. So, so yeah, that's sort of where the food futurist thing comes from, I suppose. It's um, it's a big part of what I do, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a part that I find probably really exciting. And I think that uh, there's never been a more exciting or dynamic time to be working in food uh, with everything that's, you know, everything that's starting to happen and emerge you know, and opportunities that are starting to really sort of become quite real. 
Um, which, yeah. which countries are leading the charge? Which countries are leading the charge in food startups and sustainability? What are you finding when you read? Uh, definitely Israel. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, so the Israeli government has pumped a huge, a huge amount of money into supporting food startups. Um, so there's a number of uh, there's a number of startups that are, are um, in Israel. Uh, Redefine Meat um, has started over there. There's there's a big push in Israel as well around sugar reduction. And so there's a number of startups that are working on. Um, alternatives to sugar and sort of this sort of quite sort of something you would have thought unfathomable a few years ago, but uh, you know, they're working on, on sweet proteins. So they're derived from specific plants, but they are, when you eat them, they taste exactly like sugar, right? It doesn't taste like a, a, a artificial sweetener that has an aftertaste or anything like that. It just tastes like sugar, but when your body processes it, it processes it as protein. Wow, and that's a lot of a lot of foods now grown. Sorry, yes, a lot of foods now grown in inside, isn't it? Because of climate change, what's happening? There's hydroponics. There's food being grown without water. There's a whole lot of things happening, isn't there? That that it's not even outside anymore. Yeah, there's there are quite a few startups that are working on vertical farming. Uh, so that would be sort of, you know, addressing concerns around carbon footprint on growing produce, I don't know, in one part of the country and then shipping it to another part of the country and the transport, et cetera, that goes into that. Um, so there's a number of startups that are working on um, on vertical farming with sort of a view to having, you know, in the States, for example, in, in every, every major city, having a vertical farm. And that vertical farm can then supply restaurants or supermarkets within a radius of that farm, um, having very low sort of carbon footprint impact. Um, also, the quality of, you know, that you can control that environment and they're sort of looking at, at the same time, combining sort of more unusual herbs and leaves and things like that. Um, there was a really amazing example, actually, in Marks and Spencer's in the UK at the Clapham store, so a couple of years ago, probably about three, three and a half years ago, four years ago, Marks and Spencer's started um, a rollout of what the store of the future would look like, right? From an M&S perspective, now that started to roll out across their, their brand and they really re-energized uh, what uh, food retail shopping uh, can look like. Uh, which is amazing. But in their Clapham store, which I think was the, se the first or the second store to get the refurb and the refit, um, they've partnered with a startup, and I can't remember the name, but they've partnered with a startup in the UK that's actually growing uh, fresh herbs in unused uh, air raid tunnels in London, but they're actually underneath a store in Clapham, right? Wow. So not only are they using, but under, underneath that actual store. So when you shop in that store, the herbs that you buy come from underground wow. of that actual store. So it's the sort of hyper-local wow. trend as well, right, where things are coming from the immediate surroundings. But you're in the middle of Clapham in London, right, you would never imagine that something mm -hmm. like that is possible. Uh, so that's a good example. And then there's another uh, – there's another uh, – startup, which I haven't researched that much up on yet, 
but they're doing something similar in Paris, but they're growing mushrooms. Wow. Underground, wow. Underneath, underneath Paris, and then supplying restaurants and supermarkets with mushrooms so lot... underneath the city. <laughs> so we've got all this kind of food that, that's not food. Um, Basil, what do, you, do you see AI playing a role? Have you seen anything with AI and food? Everybody's thinking about artificial intelligence and how this is affecting us. Is, is that playing itself out anywhere or is that not really something you've looked at yet? No, no, it's definitely it's definitely happening. So I think um, sort of the initial trend we'll see with AI from a food perspective, I think, will be um, sort of uh, used as a tool to scour multiple data sources, right? So if you're looking to find out what are people saying about pizza online at the moment, right, it will, the AI will look at every possible touch point across the whole of the internet right all of social media every comment that's been made and then give you a view of what's popular and what's happening so i think that'll probably be the first sort of horizon if that makes sense mm -hmm. where ai really gets used to inform trends and and i suppose insights customer behavior um and i think from a social media perspective that can be quite powerful uh, for brands. So I think that will start to happen. But then there's a few other interesting things that are happening. And one of the most interesting ones that I've uh, read about is a um, a German flavor house, uh, which is called Simrise. Um, and they develop flavors for, um, for food brands to use on everything from crisps to you know, chicken marinades, et cetera. And they are using AI to analyze a library of about three or 4,000 ancient Chinese recipes wow. uh, that have never been analyzed before to really understand um, the use of flavor in those recipes with mm -hmm. a view to using the compounds that they identify in optimizing the flavor of plant-based products. Mm, um, that is incredible. <laughs> so very interesting, very interesting things that are happening out there. So yeah, AI yeah. will definitely play a, a big role in food. I think it will be interesting to see, you know, if you look at plant-based, there was a lot of investment in plant-based globally, and there was this huge push towards mm -hmm. this plant-based diet, and it sort of reached a... Uh, it reached a point where I think it wasn't really sustainable anymore. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of products and lots of investment. And the, the, uh, in some countries, it really got a lot of traction, like the UK and Germany, where there's a, a large existing vegan and plant-based customer. But in other countries around the world, like in the States, for example, or in Australia, um, it's going to take a lot longer for that to pull through. And I think with AI, it might be similar where there's a lot of investment now and there's a lot of excitement, but it's going to, I think, I think it's going to take a bit of time, right, before it churns its way through and it really, one is really able to look at it uh, holistically and really understand the benefits and see how you can use it as a brand yeah. or as a company. So I think it's sort of that similar, yeah. you know, huge excitement, but it's going to take a bit of time before, um one really can can understand. 
Yeah, it's that hype cycle, isn't it? And it's when to get into it. And there has to be experiments and mistakes, isn't it? That's how innovation works. Um, Talk to me about innovation, right? You're very innovative. What does it it take to be so innovative and to think so differently? What do you think are the mindsets and behaviors or practices that you use in your approach to life and to work? Um, I think you have to be... You have to be excited about newness, right? Mm. And and finding things that are are new and different and interesting, and it needs to uh, it needs to really like get your thought process going. Um, and I think it needs to be quite you know it needs to be like a tangible excitement. It needs to be something where you are kind of always looking you know, whether you're working or not working, whether you're in a restaurant or whether you are on a work trip um, or whether you're just, you know, sitting around thinking about things. I think it's, um, yeah, something that you're always doing and you're always sort of looking for uh, something that's new and different. And then I think from a a work perspective, from a food perspective, I think it's the... You know, it's really kind of using the design thinking sort of processes around around building prototypes and seeing if they work and if they don't work, you know, what you need to do to change them, change them quickly, try them again, and to just keep on doing that. And it's just sort of this never-ending cycle, right, yeah. where you're never done. You're just never done, and you need to be, uh, I don't know, you need to have the the mental energy, I suppose, or the stamina to kind of keep working that way. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's what makes it, makes it possible and exciting. <laughs> it sounds like a bit of curiosity mixed with passion, mixed with grit, um, mm. mixed with the discipline of design thinking, which I also use in my work battle. I think it's in everything, isn't it? Whether you're doing leadership development or whether you're doing food, it is the same things I hear again and again, curiosity, passion, grit. Um, yeah. It's the same kind of things. Um, mm. So is it still a good career for young people to get into food? What would you say to somebody who's thinking about a food career or starting a food company or what should they be thinking about? Uh, I would say it's definitely a, a good idea, right? It's um, Food is... Food is so emotive. People, you know, it connects people. It's sort of this universal thing that people love. Um, and people are always going to need to eat, right? You can use I AI so. to and stuff. <laughs> 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 no, you don't know. Maybe with Ozempic, you won't need to eat. That's what I'm more. thinking. We could just drink tablets. <laughs> oh, I don't want to be there anymore when that happens. <laughs> no. People are always going to want to eat. And I think there's, you know, there's always... There's so much um, uh, there's so much energy on platforms like TikTok, you know, and Instagram, around people recreating kind of versions of things they've seen in restaurants or things that chefs are doing, and it's become, I think, it's become quite uh, sort of uh, democratized, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's like anyone can put something up on TikTok, and it's like a um, you know, and I see things on TikTok that I try at home, and I think uh, social media is informing more and more of what I cook at home. 
And you know, it used to be cookbooks. Yeah. But now I'm online more, and I'm and I'm saying, oh, that that would be a nice recipe to try, and maybe I'll put my spin on it. You know, or something in the air fry. I think the air fry is another um, really interesting thing. Do you have an air fryer? I don't have an air fryer, but I've been told I need an air fryer and a kitchen aid. <laughs> what is that other thing called that everybody has? <laughs> um, air fryers are really interesting, so because they are uh, the chamber, or the cooking chamber is much smaller than an oven. They cook much faster. So some people speak about an air fryer as it being sort of a healthy a healthier mm -hmm. cooking thing. You can, I mean, you could argue it is a little bit healthier because you don't need as much oil necessarily to mm -hmm. cook with. But I still use oil when I cook in the air fryer. So for me, it's more about speed. Mm -hmm. and, but there's a lot of stuff on social media around the air fryer, right? And it's kind of created this, this, uh, this space where it's quite fun and people are having quite a lot of fun with sort of quite, sort of quite wacky and quirky recipes that they're cooking in the air fryer. And I think it's uh, it's energized a whole group of people around cooking yeah. and food, which, which is very unusual, you know, for an appliance to do that. Yes. And that's fascinating. I think yeah. all the listeners are now going to go and get air fryers. They need to send you a commission after this podcast. <laughs> um, but listen, um, what what message do you have for consumers, food consumers? What should they be doing differently, trying out that maybe they're a little bit reticent to do that'll help the planet but also be interesting for them? I think they should eat more vegetables. Mm. Mm. You know, so when this whole plant-based thing started taking off and we saw all of these fake meat products and these uh, sort of soy-based uh, alternative protein solutions, etc. Um, you know, I was fascinated then, and I'm still fascinated now, that there there hasn't been a push towards making vegetables more exciting, right? Yeah. Like we've got all these amazing veggies, and it's a uh, um, it's not easy necessarily, but it's 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 very rewarding to create a beautiful main course out of veggies, right? It's really healthy. Um, and in doing so, I think, you know, you are definitely contributing towards some of the global warming, right? If enough people substitute veggies as a main dish instead of red meat a few days a week, um, you could get there. And there's a few chefs that are doing interesting things. I think uh, there's a chef in Sydney called Alice Zaslavsky. Um, and she has a cookbook, uh, which is called, let me quickly check. It's all about celebrating vegetables. Um, and what she does really interestingly is, um, it's called In Praise of Veg. Mm. And um, she kind of takes things like butter chicken, for example, right? So butter chicken is probably one of the most popular dishes in Australia. Yeah. But I think even in the UK, it's very popular, right? Globally, butter chicken is just loved mm. and adored. Mm. So she takes a butter chicken recipe, but she uses carrots instead of chicken. Wow. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And she kind um, of really I... repositions your thinking around why do you have to have meat yeah. in that dish? It can be equally delicious. It can have the same flavors. Yeah. It can be made a very similar way, but you substitute a vegetable. So there's some interesting things happening in that mm. space. So, yeah. Mm. yeah I agree with that. Yeah. Mm. 
I'd agree with that. I think it is about vegetables. You know, even when I travel to India and I eat with friends who are vegetarian, there are some amazing restaurants, vegetarian restaurants with amazing food. But I just have never been exposed to it because the kind of vegetables we grew up with, Basil, was kind of overcooked, <laughs> you know, um, or mushy peas, or mushy peas, which is my least favorite thing on the planet. Um, you know, it's just not exciting. So, so I think that is a wonderful thing. Um, listen, where can people learn more about what you do, Basil? Where can they find you online? Where can they follow you? Uh, so I'm on Instagram. I have two Instagram uh, handles. The one is just add Basil with a Z. Basil with a Z. Just add Basil. The other one is Basil Travels. So yeah. just add Basil is only food. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like a gallery. It's only round plates shot from the top. And then Basil Travels is kind of everything else. Mm. Wherever, whatever I'm up to traveling or whatever I might be doing. And then I also have a website called uh, basilstandard.com yeah. um, where you can kind of have a look. I have some sort of photo essays on there, some recipes, um, a few other things on there as well. Yeah. I think that would be great. I can also tell people you're an amazing photographer, not just the food that you photograph, but places you go to. I love it when you go somewhere and you show us the place through your eyes and you just have such an incredible, because you're also a trained photographer, aren't you? Not just a chef um, and yes. an avid traveler. I started out as a photographer. I studied photography and worked in fashion yeah. for years before getting into food. Yep. And you are incredibly well-dressed, so you're, it's easy to look at you as well online because of your fashion scenes. Um, so we'll we'll definitely let people... Uh, follow you for that and now I have a fun question for you mm. if you were left all by yourself on an island with nobody around what's the one thing you couldn't do without um well it would have to be food and, and it couldn't be one thing <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to be food it would have to be three things and it would be the three things I probably use the most often in my kitchen at home and that would be um, anchovies, olives, and capers. Anchovies, seriously. Anchovies, <laughs> olives, and capers are the three things that I use the most often. That sounds fabulous. Yeah. That sounds fabulous. I hope you live in an island where there's lots of anchovies nearby. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I kind of I answer, I kind of thought you would say food. I just weren't quite sure where you're going to go with it. Look, what I take yeah. out of this conversation is that there's such exciting things happening in food. Um, I'm amazed at what's happening. I've known about, obviously, you know, meat that's made from plants. And, and, and I've seen dairy now. I saw something the other day that's dairy products without milk. Um, there's all kinds of fabulous things happening. We do need to eat more vegetables. We do need to be much more sustainable. Um, but also what I just love, Basil, is that I think people need to be more like you. I think people need to be courageous and curious and test and experiment and try new things. If we do things mm -hmm. the way we did them before, we're actually not going to get anywhere. So we have to shop differently, eat differently, travel differently. Um, and I think there's so much to be learned from you. And I can honestly tell everybody that um, they should definitely follow you, but they will be hungry all the time. Um, and <laughs> But they'll be inspired at the same time um, because I absolutely love what you do with food. Um, and I'm so grateful that we got to meet. Um, and thank you so much for your willingness to share all those ideas with people. Um, and we hope to have you again in the future. Maybe we'll 
we'll go into a different topic. Maybe we'll talk about photography and travel next because um, I know you also love that. So thank you so much, Basil. That's a pleasure. Thanks so much for the invite. It's been lovely chatting to you.